would join me in reading uh, the, uh, the section I'm going to preach on, and also it's the Old Testament reading. That's on page 7 in the bulletin. It says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones, and he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and I prophesied there, and as I prophesied there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophecy to the breath, prophecy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole of the house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost, and we are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves... And raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. The word of the Lord. So please be seated. Um, I played football in uh, high school, and when I was on junior varsity, our varsity team had played a school in Daytona Beach called Mainland. And they just destroyed them. They, they beat the, the varsity, our varsity beat their varsity into a pulp. And they were so frustrated and so angry that when the junior varsity played the junior varsity at the same school the next week, they brought down 10 varsity players just so they could really beat up our JV team. And so we were playing away, and we're just scrawny kind of sophomores. And we're playing like 220-pound seniors. And I remember we just got just destroyed. I remember I'd never seen players so big in my life. And I'll never forget my friend uh, Ken had got, he came across the middle and this like 220 pound linebacker just clobbered him. And I remember the linebacker was on top of him just barking at him saying, that's for my son, that's for my son. And we were like, oh my gosh, this guy even has a son. What are we doing here? And I think that, I think we got beat 50 to zero. And a couple of our guys went to the hospital. But if there's ever a time I felt like I was in the Valley of Dry Bones, beaten to a pulp, beaten down. Uh, it was that game. And similarly, Ezekiel, he's preaching to a, a devastated situation. Um, the Israelites had been uh, ransacked, uh, exiled. Uh, they had to travel from Jerusalem. The, the whole city was demolished. The temple was demolished. And they were taken, deported a thousand miles away uh, to a city called Babylon. And uh, as he's probably remembering all the dead bodies that he's seen from all the carnage as the Babylonians just mercilessly, you know, mercilessly pummeled the Israelites. Um, he has this vision of these bones. 
Uh, you can imagine the hopelessness that he felt. Um, there's no more temple. Uh, there was no more dwelling place for God, um, as they thought. Um, there was no chance that you could withstand this army. And they were strangers in a strange land. And yet he's got this word of hope. And this hope kind of hinges around this mysterious person of the Trinity called the Holy Spirit. And this promise is made that one day the Holy Spirit will fill Israel and take it from a valley of desecrated bones. It's not just that they're, they're dead. They're desecrated, not even buried. So they're, they're dishonored, and not just bones, they're very dry bones. It means they've been dead a very long time. But God's going to do something miraculous. He's going to breathe life into them. And one day they're going to go from desecrated, very dry, dead bones into a vast army able to conquer not just the Babylonians, but anything that comes their way. So tonight, there's different ways you can tackle this passage. Uh, I, I usually I love exegeting scripture going verse by verse. But as I looked at this, I kind of thought it might be fun to kind of exalt the Holy Spirit. Because out of the Trinity, out of the Trinity, if there's anyone who doesn't get really quite, quite as much love, I would say it's the Holy Spirit. Everyone's down with God the Father, because he's God the Father. Everyone's down with Jesus, because he's the Savior of the world. But the Holy Spirit is always looked at kind of either, it's too crazy, Pentecostal, charismatic, too wild, or you've got the frozen chosen problem, where it's just dead and not alive. And so I wanted to kind of bring life into the situation. I love the Holy Spirit. I think it's important we understand his ministry, and kind of tie it into the text and tie it into real life. And so the three things I want to look at tonight is, well, why is this text important? I think anytime you're coming to a sermon, anytime you're going to check out for the next 20 minutes and listen to me, uh, you got to know why, why should you? So why is this important? Uh, the second thing we want to look at is why or, or how can the Holy Spirit help me? What can the Holy Spirit do for me? And then finally, how do I get this help? So why is this important? How can the Holy Spirit help me? And how do I get this help? So first of all, I want to look at why this is important. If you look at the text in verse 11, it says, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, so this is what the Israelites are saying, Our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. And I'm certain there have had to be days in your life where you felt the same way. You felt dry. You felt hopeless. You felt cut off some days more than others and if you haven't felt that way well, that's awesome but one day you will probably feel that way so what do we do when we encounter these days why is this important so the first problem i wanted to look at our bones are dry basically um, it's implying that we are dead there's a problem there we're lifeless we need help and i think uh the the i think the main problem here is that life is found in God, in the book of, um, in the Gospels, it says that Jesus, in John, it says that Jesus is life. As we'll see in a little bit, the Holy Spirit's main job is to point people to Jesus. So to point people to life is the solution to the problem of death. And so problem number one is, we're dead, we need life, and the only way to have life is to have a relationship with God. And one thing the Holy Spirit does is it illuminates our need for God, and it points us to God. If you're a Christian and you're here today, you're a Christian because at some point in your life, the Holy Spirit opened your eyes, convicted you of your sin, and showed you that you need life and you need to leave death to enter it. 
Death is one of those things that's never pleasant. I've done several funerals in my time as a pastor, and they're always bleak. Whether I'm doing it for a Christian or a non-Christian, there's still a sadness that's there. Now, I'll say there's more hope in a Christian funeral, because we believe this isn't it. We believe there's much more to this world, much more to this life. But so there's something about us that we don't like about death, and it's because if you read the Bible, we were never meant to experience it. In Eden, there was no death, so we're not wired to handle it. So there's something not pleasant about it. So problem number one, we're dead. Our bones are dry. What do we do? Problem number two, our hope is lost. The Israelites, in context, were in exile, a thousand miles away from their from their city, from their country. And even if they could get there, there was nothing left. Jerusalem was, was raised to the ground. The temple was raised to the ground. There was nothing left, even if they could go back, but they couldn't go back. They were a thousand miles away. They were in exile. And sometimes we feel the same way. If you're a Christian, there's a huge exilic theology throughout the Bible that says you are not meant to be of this world. You're a pilgrim. You're just passing through. But even if you're not a Christian, even if you're exploring Christianity, perhaps. There's still elements of this life that probably make you feel that there's got to be something else more to it. Uh, Switchfoot, a band I like, had a song back in the day, it was 12 years ago, and the chorus is, we were meant for so much more, have we lost ourselves? And I think that's the biblical argument. We are meant for so much more. This life isn't it, and we're longing for something. You always hear the saying, the grass is greener on the other side, but it doesn't matter. When you get there, Life's still kind of lame. People always ask me when I, I shared this last time I was here, when I moved from California to New York, people in New York were like, oh, you must really miss California. Well, everyone in California is jealous that I'm in New York. It doesn't matter where you go. You're kind of discontent this side of heaven, and that's just the way it is. So our hope is lost. We're in a state of exile. So it's important as we look at the scriptures. So how does, how does the Holy Spirit inform that? C.S. Lewis said, if I find myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Uh, Jackie Hill Perry, she's a poet and a rapper, a pop artist. Uh, she said in, in her latest album, she had this line that I thought was really cool. It said, don't waste time trying to find life in something that's going to eventually die. So everything in this world is bound by something called entropy. It's in a state of decay. So when you're trying to find life in something that's going to die, you're ultimately going to be dissatisfied. So how does this solve the problem of our hope being lost? We want to see how the Holy Spirit does that. And finally, problem three is it says we're cut off. Verse 11, our bones are dried up because we're dead. Our hope is lost, they're exiled, and we are indeed cut off. There is no relationship with God. The problem with the Israelites is they were supposed to be a light to the Gentiles. They were supposed to have such a, a killer relationship, radical relationship with God, that other nations would be jealous of their relationship with God. But instead, they hoarded it from the other nations. They ostracized the other nations. And if they weren't doing that, they worshipped other gods. They had a better relationship. They had a perfect relationship with the creator of everything, but one of the big laments of the scriptures is that they chose created things over the creator himself. So God gave them over to this invasion to teach them, to discipline them, so that their hearts would return to them. And I think sometimes we feel like we're cut off. Psalm 53, 2. It says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt and have committed an abominable injustice. There is no one who does good. God has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there is anyone who understands. 
Anyone who seeks after God, every one of them is turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Paul in the book of Romans chapter 3, he, re he repeats the same argument. We don't seek after God on our own accord. There's a, um, I can't remember which confession it is, but it says the slant of our heart is that we hate God and hate our neighbor. That's the slant of our heart. We're supposed to love God with all our heart, our, all our soul, all our strength. We're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. Those are the two commandments that Jesus said all the law hinges on. And yet the slant of our heart is, I don't want to spend time with God. I want to do other stuff. I don't want to love that guy on the subway who has no sense of personal space and is creeping up on me. I don't want to love him. That bothers me. I want to hate him. That's in my heart. How do we solve that problem? So how does the Holy Spirit help me in all these areas? Well, first, as I alluded to, the Holy Spirit gives life. One beautiful thing, if you look through this passage of Scripture that we just read in Ezekiel, over and over again, you see this, this uh, repeated, so that we will know God, so that they will know me. Over 25 times it says this in the book of Ezekiel, so that they will know me. 36 times in the Old Testament. You were created for a relationship with God, and God will do anything sometimes to get you to recognize that you won't find life, you won't find fulfillment apart from a relationship with Him. You were designed to know God. And that's the key to true life. That's the key to, to understanding why you're here. And so the solution to this problem of my bones are dried up, I'm dead, is the Holy Spirit. He points me to God, and God gives me life. Ezekiel 37, 6, when I just read it, said, I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. John 15, 26. I'm bouncing around the Bible here. He says, but when the helper, it's another name Jesus gave for the Holy Spirit, paraclete in the Greek. It means to come alongside and help out and support. So when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So one thing the Holy Spirit does, his function, is to come alongside you, and if you're here, like I said, if you're a Christian here today, at some point in your life, the Holy Spirit came alongside you and pointed you to your need for Jesus. In my case, I grew up, I shared this the first time I was here. My mom was Buddhist, my dad was Baptist. I grew up in this kind of mixed household. When I got to college, God just really got a hold of my heart. I saw that in every religion I looked at, it was always man trying to do stuff to get to God. But in Christianity, it was just different. God gave up everything he had in heaven to come down and have a relationship with me. And it just clicked. And I went from death to life that year. The Holy Spirit had revealed my need for God, and I saw it. John 16, 7 through 8 says, But I tell you the truth, it is for your benefit that I am going away. This is Jesus talking. Unless I go away, the advocate, again, that's parakletos in the Greek, paraclete, he will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. So again, one important aspect, one reason we need the Holy Spirit, is he brings us from death to life because he illuminates our need for Jesus. He convicts us of our sin. 
It's foolish to think that on your own you'd seek God. You just wouldn't. On your own, you're not going to seek God. So God has to open your eyes to the Holy Spirit to bring him into a relationship with you. John 16, 14, last one in this section, says, He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And so I think a couple things when I understand this idea of going from death to life because of what the Holy Spirit's done. It frees me up. I used to be so bothered. I was on an airplane sitting next to someone. I'm like, okay, I got to figure out how to share my faith with this person. I mean, they're, I got eight hours and they're going to hear it one way or another. They're going to hear the gospel. And I force it down people's throats so often because I thought I was the one who needed to save them. When you recognize that it's the Holy Spirit who opens someone's eyes. And you can have the best argument ever and just nail it and hit it out of the park and say everything you needed to say with real life examples and movie illustrations and you name it. And if the person's heart is not ready, if the Holy Spirit has not opened their eyes, guess what? It's going to fall on dead ears. And in other cases, I didn't say anything at all, really. And the person's like, yeah, man, I, I, you know, I, one guy I used to model with, former male stripper, interesting, dynamic, um, literally didn't get to say anything to him at all for four months that he lived with me. And then one day I was at a Bible study in Milan, and honestly, if I'm confessing my sins to you all, if there was everyone, anyone I, I, I thought would never become a Christian, it was this former male stripper. I just didn't think it would happen. And he shows up with a Bible, and I'm like, wow, what are you doing here? And he's like, dude, I'm a Christian now. And I'm like, whoa, no way, are you serious? And I'm like, tell me about that process. And he's like, well, part of it was just living with you, because I was always hooking up with a different girl, like, every night, and you seemed kind of content in your celibacy, and that just rocked my world. I couldn't understand that. And so part of it was just that. And I'm like, man, I, I used to lament the fact that I never got to share with this guy. And I think it's so freeing to understand that the Holy Spirit's job is to convert people. He doesn't need your help, per se. So I think there's freedom in that. But I think in some cases, there's pressure in that. Where if you're not a Christian, and you're here, and God's been working on your heart. I, I do this class, um, or it's a, it's a home group called Questioning Christianity. And... Uh, it's about an eight-week course, and we just go away. We, we go through different things uh, in Scripture. We go through um, how can there be suffering in God? Um, how can Christianity be the only way? Is science and Christianity, are they reconcilable? And the people that are there, what's really interesting, what I find in all of them, is just how, how pursued they've been by God. Like one guy shared, he's like, yeah, you know, I've just kind of been anti-Christian, anti-religion anti my whole life. And then, yeah, I met this girl, and she was a Christian, and I wanted to date her. And she's like, I can't date you because you're not a Christian. And so I couldn't fake it, and she didn't want me to fake it. And so I heard about this class, so I came to this class. Um, oh, and by the way, my mom became a Christian, and my sister became a Christian also. So, like, separately. So he meets this Christian girl, and then se separately, other people in his family have become Christians. And then another girl I met, she was just, uh, she's a... Uh, Kind of a sweet tree hugger girl uh, who's really into environmental issues. Uh, you know, I've got a biology major, so a master's in biology, so I love nature and I love the environment. Don't get me wrong, but um, she was just all about Mother Nature, nothing, just no interest in God at all. And then out of the blue, she started wanting to pray. And then she's in, I think she's in Costa Rica on a kind of an environmental awareness trip, a kind of a Peace Corps kind of thing. And she meets a Christian guy who went to Redeemer. And he shares his faith with her. She's not interested, but then she just really thinks he's just a lovely guy. Um, 
He talks about this book called Reason for God. She starts reading the book called Reason for God. She moves back to New York and realizes she lives three blocks from Redeemer. She comes to church, loves the service, and then I have coffee with her. And she just is kind of sharing how God's been just kind of after her and after her family. The Holy Spirit has been pursuing her. And so, in one sense, no pressure, I think, if you're a Christian. It's up to God to convert people. And sometimes you've just got to be sensitive to being ready to give an answer for the hope which you have at the right time. And then if you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you if there's pressure, as in, man, I, everywhere I go, I'm meeting a Christian. I want to pray all of a sudden. I'm curious about God all of a sudden. Perhaps that pressure is the Holy Spirit working on your heart. So be encouraged either way. Another problem uh, in this situation where they're ransacked and they're in exile is they had no hope. They were in a hopeless state. And similarly to the, old, the, the New Testament reading in Pentecost, um, it, was, it, it was similar. Jesus had showed up. He died. That was a downer. He'd resurrected. That was exciting. He was around for 40 days. That was super exciting. He made like fish breakfast on the beach. They're like brunching with Jesus on the ocean shore. It was nice. And then he disappears. And then they're sad again. And as he's, as he's ascended into heaven, they're all looking at him. Looking up to heaven, I think, what's, who knows what's going through their mind? Maybe it's excitement, probably sorrow, because their Savior had kind of left them. And these angels show up like, hey, you guys need to quit looking up. You know, he's... He's coming back in the same way which he left. It's time to get to work. And so then they're hiding out in Jerusalem. I don't think they knew what was going to happen. And then the Holy Spirit shows up and empowers them and changes them completely. To where Peter, who weeks before was denying Jesus, is now so filled and so empowered and so gifted that he's preaching sermons that 3,000 people at once respond to and convert over. So something crazy happened. And so the Holy Spirit, the moment he shows up, he imparts hope to the church. The cool thing about the Holy Spirit is he's the one person in the Trinity that's always pointing forward. The moment the Holy Spirit showed up, he kind of marked the beginning of the last days. What are the last days? You're in them. It started when Jesus announced his kingdom. It amplified when the Holy Spirit showed up because that empowered the work of the church. And from that moment, the entire world has heard the gospel. And if it hasn't yet, there's a lot of movements, church planning movements, trying to reach the entire world for the gospel because we know that Jesus is coming back and the Holy Spirit is empowering the church, pushing it toward that inevitable end. And that's hopeful. And what Ezekiel was telling these exiled Israelites was, look, one day we're going to be restored. Right now we're like a pile of dead, lifeless bones, desecrated bones on top of a plane. But God, through his spirit, is going to breathe life in us and we're going to be restored one day, once and for all. So the Holy Spirit gives hope. John 14, 16, how hopeful is this? Jesus praying, he says, I will ask the Father. And he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. This is John 14, 16. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him. And he dwells with you and will be in you. Now that's a different word. The first word we looked at, paraclete, that's to come alongside. 
The Holy Spirit brought you into your relationship with God. He drew you to the Father. When you ask, if you're a Christian and you ask Jesus into your hearts, the Holy Spirit now comes and dwells inside you. Now, if you're, that could be like, oh, well, that's cool, I guess. Think about that. In the Old Testament, you could not go near God the Father. You couldn't go near God. He was too holy. You would be incinerated. You need a new body as it is to even experience God. You couldn't go into the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest could once a year. And history tells us he had to wear little bells around his gown because if he wasn't consecrated enough, the glory of God would straight up kill him. And he had a rope around his waist. And the other priests, you know, part, you know, the second string, third string, they'd have to pull him out and then have to send the other one in. It was scary. And now we're going from that to where God himself lives inside you. This is major. And how hopeful is that? The God you used to not be able to approach, the God that made Israel freak out, they didn't want to even go near the mountain, now lives inside you. Ephesians 1.13, it says, in, And in him you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, having heard and believed the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. The Spirit is the pledge of our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. I'll say that again. He is, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit if you're a Christian. And this Spirit is a pledge of your inheritance. When I lived in Europe, I had a friend named Kate. And she was an heiress. She, she kind of did whatever she wanted because she knew when she turned, I think, 26, she was getting something crazy, like 6 million pounds. You know, she just had to wait till she's 26. And so she kind of lived in Paris for, that was when I met her when I was modeling in Paris. She lived in Paris for a year, learned French. Lived in, um, I think she lived, was it Madrid for a year to learn Spanish? You know, just kind of wherever, just what a life. You know, just kind of learning languages, living in cities. And she was the most happy-go-lucky person I knew. Because she knew, hey, when I turn 26, I'm set. I'm an heiress. My name, I've got a will and testimony sealed for me. All I got to do is make it 26. The Holy Spirit is your guarantee of that inheritance that you have in heaven one day, once and for all. So it doesn't matter how bad life gets. You've got a hope that's transcendent above any circumstance that can happen in this world. You've got God coming alongside you, pointing you to the Father, and God living in you, sealing you, guaranteeing your inheritance in the future. And it gets even better than that. The Holy Spirit also gives you power. So just to, he gives you life, recapping, he gives you hope, and he gives you power. And there's nothing that would be the antithesis of power than a pile of dead, dry, lifeless bones. But because of the Holy Spirit, what does he turn them into, remember? A vast, unstoppable army. The Holy Spirit also in the New Testament he gives us power. He gives us stuff. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each, means everyone who's part of the church, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. God gives you gifts that you can use to bless the church and to bless the world. 
That's the heart of God. God wants people to flourish. He wants us to have a full life, it says in John 10, 10. How does he do that? He often does it through people. What kind of people? Empowered people by the Holy Spirit. So I encourage you, if you don't know what your gifts are, or you're not using them, have a conversation with Pastor Eric, because I'm sure he wants you to be using your gifts in this body. It's the first place you get to do it at. And then your workplace, in your school, wherever God's called you to, what are the gifts that I have? What are my natural proclivities that seem to be God-given, and how can I use them to help people to flourish more, to glorify God more? He doesn't just give you gifts. He gives you what we call spiritual fruit. In Galatians 5, 23 it says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are all like good things. I've never been around and was like, oh man, that guy's such a jerk. He's got so much self-control. Oh, what a jerk. He's so joyful. Like no one says that. Right? Those are good things. You want to be like the best boyfriend? Have more of the Holy Spirit. Best girlfriend? Have more of the Holy Spirit. Best wife? Best husband? Have more of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are appealing, attractive things. The early church rocked the early world because they embodied all of those things in such a way that people never saw it like that. They'd never seen those things before because those things weren't natural. They weren't from this world. They were from the Holy Spirit. You don't naturally sing hymns when wild beasts are re released to devour you. That's not a normal reaction to that. And that's what the early church did. Read Fox's Book of Martyrs. It talks about Christians linking arm in arm, getting martyred with such boldness that the people would convert in the, in the Colosseum because they'd never seen anything like that. Or Polycarp would say things like, the blood of the, the martyrs is the seed of the church. That's not normal. That's the Holy Spirit empowering and gifting you. And then finally, there's power, straight up. Acts 1.8. Promise me, but you will receive power when my Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus gives you gifts through the Holy Spirit, gives you gifts, gives you fruit, and gives you power. And that word is epiphany. We talked about parakletos, Holy Spirit comes alongside you, points you to Jesus, convicts you of your sin. I need God. When you ask Jesus into your heart, God, I recognize I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of my sin. The Holy Spirit comes and lives inside you. And this last thing is interesting, this idea of a P, this empowerment that takes place. The Holy Spirit can also come upon you and empower you to do different things at different times. <sighs> So how do you get this help? You know, so hopefully I've convinced you that the Holy Spirit brings all these things to you. How do you get it, wrapping things up? Well, uh, I'd say, first thing is, don't grieve it um, to the Christian, if you're a Christian. There are verses that say that you can grieve the Holy Spirit, you can quench the Holy Spirit, and you can resist the Holy Spirit. Now, God's sovereign. You can't stop God from doing something. But it is saying in his sovereignty, he will allow you, I think in the sense of discipline, he will allow certain things to happen to get you to the place he wants you to be. But I just encourage you, don't do that. If there's anything in your life that you feel conviction about, 
not like my friends making me feel bad about it, but like you feel bad about it. Relationship dynamics. You know, bitterness that you maybe have towards somebody or a family member. Your own personal holiness. Be sensitive to how the Holy Spirit directs you in these things. So the first thing, how do I get this help from the Holy Spirit? I think just be sensitive to it if you're a Christian. Don't grieve it. Don't quench it. And if you're not a Christian, again, you're still new and you're, you're still processing this whole faith thing. But I just encourage you, don't resist it, like I said earlier. If you recognize God doing these unusual things in your life, where Christians are popping up out of nowhere, everywhere it seems like there's a Christian in your life, where this curiosity, this hunger, this dissatisfaction with this world is mounting more and more, it could be the Holy Spirit simply moving on your heart and trying to point you to Jesus. So don't give up asking for more revelation, more illumination, if you will. And then secondly, simply receive it. So don't grieve it first, and then secondly, receive it. Mark 15, 37, it says, With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. Think about the significance of that. That is the creator of the universe giving up his life, his breath, if you will, so that you and I could receive it. Jesus gave up his breath so that we could receive it. He gave up his breath on earth so that we could receive it until heaven. That breath of God, it brings us life. It gives us hope. It gives us power. It gives us fruit. It gives us giftings. Receive that if you haven't received it yet. And finally, last thing, fan it. Going back to these, these verses, Ezekiel. It's a crazy book if you ever read the book of Ezekiel. God asks him to do the weirdest stuff, but he's, just honor, he's honoring God and he's just, whatever God said to do, he did. The first thing God said to do, and it's a famous song, you know, that Dem Bones, Dem Bones song. It's about Ezekiel 37. Um, the, the exhortation of the song is to hear the word of the Lord. And that's the first thing he was told to do. He says, prophecy. Prophesy over these bones. And before even that, he says, what are we going to do about this? And he's like, God, you're sovereign. You know. And the first thing is he prophesied over it. So I say, first thing, recognize God is sovereign. He's got a plan for your life. Don't let any circumstance cause you to question the love of God in your life. God loves you, and he's given you gifts, and the primary gift he's given you is the Holy Spirit. So ask for more of that in your life. But the second thing is, Ezekiel used the word of the Lord. He used the word of God. And that's what got the bones covered, if you will. They didn't have life yet, but it got them covered. I encourage you, spend time in the word of God. The Bible says faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So if your faith is weak, spend more time. In the word of God. The Bible says the law of the Lord is perfect. Restoring the soul. Literally restoring your mind. David said. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I have hidden your word in my heart. That I might not sin against you. It is so much more than just this old book. It is powerful. It is living. It is active. And the Bible says it is the only thing that I know of. That is physical. That lasts forever. Jesus, the heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. Everything else around us is going to be destroyed. That's called entropy, like I said. The word of God is not. So reading it is like downloading eternity into who you are. And the second thing is, 
He was called, in a sense, to, to pray. The second prophecy he was to do over the bones that were now covered in flesh but not alive was basically to pray over it. That's the second thing I encourage you to do. Have a regular prayer life. You know, if you, if you are like me, where I'm kind of ADHD and it's really hard for me to sit still, I do better when I take walks with God. I, I walk and I pray. I pray in group settings. I try to change up the dynamics of how I pray. You know, so don't grieve it. Receive it and then fan that flame of the Holy Spirit just through the Word of God in your own prayer life, in your own presence in this church. And I encourage you, ask God to reveal the gifts that He has for you. And if you are here and you're not a believer and, and, and you're seeking, ask God to reveal more of Himself to you because I really believe the Holy Spirit is he's, he's, he's calling you pointing you to Jesus, don't resist that call. Let's pray. God, we come before you and we're thankful for your word. Uh, we're thankful for the hope that we have in you. We're thankful for the Holy Spirit. Uh, I pray this church would be filled with your spirit. I pray everybody here today, the ones that don't know you, Holy Spirit, I pray you would be that parakletos that would open their eyes, convict them of their sin, God, and point them to you, Jesus. For the believers that are here, I pray that you would you would be that, uh, that pea, that you would come upon them and empower them, that you'd fill them with the Spirit so that they have power, they have every gift that you want them to have, and they're full of the fruit of the Spirit, God. We ask this in your name.